anglers and harpoonists, freshen up your crankbait, extend your telescopic rod, and ooh, a tasty little worm just for me. How fortuitous. I swear to you, Talk Tall to Me was this big. <laughs> That's really good. Welcome back, I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moans. And this, my minnows and monsters, is Talk Tall to Me. A bright spinning lure in the dark waters of Prague Rock, in which Needlefish Nick and Olive Flounder Omen will get hooked on every shiny song that Pesher rock band Jethro Tull has ever baited with sweet sounds. We will go trolling through the torrents of teacher, net enormous notes worth of North Sea oil, and fashion a fly fit for a fat man. And if we can avoid getting filleted by the world's ickiest ichthyologists, we may stand half a chance of developing from flute fries to syncopation smolts, from bottom feeders to flying fishes, and yes, you can join our school as we seek our own white whale, not a fish, the prog pickerel, the spawning Scotsman sculpin, the kilted kipper, Ian Airbladder Anderson. Nick, if we keep this up, we could make a krilling. The best part was the not a fish. <laughs> I mean, that was all very good. I didn't realize there's so many types Sorry. of fish out there. Go ahead. There, there are. There are lots of fish. You didn't even say goldfish, Omen. Didn't have time. Yeah. Nick, what brings you in today? Well, uh, my back is, is a little achy, but uh, we'll, we'll address that later. Today, we are uh, actually addressing the last song off of the zealot gene. Seems improbable, and yet here we are. It zipped right by track 12 off of the 2022 release, The Zealot Gene. This is The Fisherman of Ephesus. Very exciting. Before we jump into it, though, I just want to caveat. It is it is finally feeling very nice in upstate New York and central New York, so I have windows open. There may be birds. <laughs> there may be traffic. <laughs> if it's too distracting, write and let me know. I just want to caveat. I I pride myself on like really clean audio, but I'm I'm giving it a shot here. A little more ambiance. I pride myself on prefacing literally everything. <laughs> and usually it works out, yeah. Before I speak, Nick, I have something important to say. Oh yeah, please. That was it. That was the joke. No, no, I get it. Okay. Uh, okay, so that's all. That's all I wanted to say. Please have patience. I love you. If it really bugs you, I can I can record with the windows closed. We'll literally but, record it all again. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We've had to do that once or twice, and that was the worst thing in the world. Why don't we dive in to this deep water yes. dogfish? All right. I've got my snorkel. And have a loach listen. Oh, dolphins, not fish either.
Nick? Omen. There we have the final track off of the Zealot Gene. That is, uh, that's exactly what that was. That is quite a button. Yeah, speaking of the button, let, let's start at the end. That is such a definitive end to an album. Yeah. Traditionally, when we have such a harsh break like that, it leads into something. Yeah. It, it makes what it's leading into that much more potent. But this is just like, we done. We out. We done. Bye. Think of, think, think of Cheerio. Say Cheerio. That's like such a classic example of, of the ending of a tall album for us. You know, this like very gentle fading off into the distance. Sweet. Yeah. I'm sure there are other examples that are that contradict that, but this seems very much not abrupt, I would say, but definitive. I think I'd go so far as to say abrupt. It's really like it's really stark. Would you say brusque? I would say brusque if I had to. But abrupt, yeah. No, it's it's I I mean, you listen to it for the first time. I'm pretty sure I was caught off guard when I heard this the first time and thought, whoa. Did you find yourself checking the track list and being like, surely there's something more after this? What's next? Yeah. yeah. Is there, is, I mean, well, is this one 20 minutes long and I just have to wait until the, the secret track starts? Right, right, right. Nope. Yeah. Next is Gananga Gap. Yeah, let's move right into, no, v- Valuspo is the, yes, uh, is the first right. track off of there. But yeah, 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 it's very, very great, very powerful choice. Absolutely. In terms of the time signature, this is mostly in 4-4. Yeah, that sounds right. However, there are a couple of measures of, I think, two slipped in there. So you get one, Hmm. two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two. Bam! (laughs) I believe you. Just for fun. Just for fun. That's all Ian does. Just fun stuff. Just fun stuff. <laughs> There's a lot going on musically in this. We have right out the gate that mm-hmm. with the flute. Backed up by the guitar. The guitar very much playing a supporting role throughout this whole track. Almost atmospheric at times. Sometimes blending in with the organ. Mm. Flute coming through really strong. Yeah. And... For me, the song is mostly contrasted between that dum da dum dum and the brim dim dim di 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 di. Our light and dark thesis. Our dark and light thesis. Yet again, rearing its monochromatic head. Those heavier bits. The bulk of the song. Those heavier bits. Yeah. Reminds me, in terms of severity, reminds me of the zealot gene. (laughs) This is on the album, the zealot gene. Is it? Is it now? It is. Yeah, and but you're right. I mean, like we're we're now all the way through the album. We can really start talking with some level of intelligence. We won't say what that level is. I mean, it reminds me of the song, The Zealot Gene. Not like, you know what? That reminds me of <laughs> the album. No, you're right. It does. The, the, the song itself, I see exactly what you're saying. But it's also interesting to start looking at the album as a whole. 
Yeah, absolutely. And when we get into content wise, I mean, it really does wrap it up. That when we get into those lyrics, it, it is the finality of that story that it's kind of the last chapter of how everything kind of pans out. Again, that, that first half, bits and bobs here and there, no cohesive story, but this whole second half has been, been about the J-Man. J-Man Silo. J-Man Silo. There's some really fun details in here. We have a really fabulous counterbeat on the hi-hat. Oh, symbol. Mm. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so fun. Really, really great. Casa Lines is waiting quietly for the telltale nibble to reveal. That counterbeat traditionally in the, the, the home of the mandolin, right? Isn't that particularly where the mandolin lives? Yeah, yeah, on that on the back beat, sure. Yeah. There is another point that I, I failed to identify where in the track it is, but there's a point where Ian is singing something very kind of straightforwardly melodic, and the drum, the percussion is going... Ooh. It's really got some strange kind of almost jazzy feelings going on there. Everybody is bringing their A-game to this song. Yeah. I mean, the synth ripping in the background. The guitar, the really chewy guitar. That breakdown in particular is really nice. Really, really nice. A bit on the shorter side for a breakdown. I know, and particularly with how darn good this breakdown is, I would have loved it to be another 30 seconds. Yeah, I agree. And naturally, there's a choice that it wasn't. Yeah. A choice was made. They were just tired. <laughs> Ian needed a nap. Me fingers are hurty. <laughs> I've fluted enough for one day. Ian's fluted enough for a lifetime. He's for several lifetimes. Yeah. I really don't have that much to say about it musically, weirdly. I know the drum's really nice, synth is really nice. It does follow that rough trajectory of light and dark just over the, the life of the album as well. We have the dark songs, we have the light songs, we have the dark songs. This has both of those bits. Yes, absolutely. The dark light. We only have two instances of the light in this and they're rather short. They're really short choruses but they do kind of crest out of the water just enough to get some air before we go back in. And I think that's appropriate given the subject material. I mean, the Bible is a little bit dark, I would say, mm -hmm. in yeah. a lot of cases, and or perhaps it challenges the reader to identify the likeness within it. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, my overall impression of this album is more of that lightness to it. Yeah. Thinking, mm. If I think about Aqualung, I think of it as being very dark. That's so funny. I think of the light stuff on Aqualung. I oh, think of that really, really beautiful acoustic. Wondering yeah. aloud, sure, sure. Yeah. Cheap Day Return. Yep, yep, yep. There's at least one more, if not two. Wondering aloud. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's on there. Yeah, yeah. One White Duck. Nope. It's minstrel. It is minstrel. Nice. Great. <laughs>
But there is a, at this point, Ian has such a command over not only himself, but his musicians, that the precision of this album, for me, I think comes across as light in some ways. Hmm. Interesting. Because it's not messy. It's so clean. And I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's surgical. It is surgical. But it's good. Well, surgery can sometimes be very beneficial. Yes, it's surgically precise. But when I think of when I think of music, thinking of it as being so surgically precise, it's like, eh, it's kind of sterile. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, they're just playing the notes. They're doing exactly what needs to happen at the right time. But there's there's no flavor there. You know, this combines both of those. There's so much flavor to this album and they're all spot on. This album is non-elective and yet my HMO will not cover it. They refused. They refused. I submitted the receipt for buying this album, and they said, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. The, I want to make a food metaphor. I want you to make a food metaphor. Have you had supper yet? Probably not. It's only, no. it's only 6 p.m. for you. Yeah. Let's think about broth. Are we talking the album as a whole? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about broth. Broth me. There are lots of different ways to make broth. Correct. And... Oh. I made a bang and split pea soup last week. It was so good. So good. So proud of you. Sorry, continue. Broth is usually made by boiling various disparate elements in water, and then those flavors combine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one way to do it is just dump all that stuff in a pot, let it boil, you know, kind of fish out some of the stuff, and then you have a broth with bits. <laughs> yes. With extra pulp. <laughs> I like to chew my broth. But some, there are lots of techniques, especially in, in French cuisine, of clarifying the broth. Consommé? Yeah, I think that's where you boil it down so it's even more gelatinous. But there's a certain thing where you, you like break an egg into the center of it and the egg collects all of the bits. Oh, wow. You can wrap your ingredients in cheesecloth so that none of the actual particles get out there. Mm-hmm. This album reminds me of an extremely flavorful but very clarified broth hmm. where you're like, with one spoonful, I'm tasting the world, but I couldn't, I couldn't say, oh, here's a bit of lettuce. Either you put lettuce in a broth, I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying. Here's a celery, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a chicken piece. Right. So all of the musicians were in cheesecloth for this, the making of this album. They were. They kept the under wraps outfits. Yes. They changed them from Tyvek to, to cheesecloth. They wouldn't have sweat at all if they were just cheesecloth. Gauze. Boy, it would have been great. Yeah, yeah it would have looked good, too. Mm. Anything else to say musically about this album? No. No, I think that's a good... I mean, about this song. I mean, I, I think it doesn't hurt to talk about the album as a whole in this moment as we're wrapping up the song and, and the album. I think they do have a really nice parallel here. And I think that, that broth analogy was was delicious. All right, Nick, we are here in the mid portion of our show and traditionally on the final track of the album, we not only tell you our opinions, which you are mm -hmm. by now perhaps acquainted with, but we also like to bring in some other opinions and read a review. How come you Let's read reviews. This is contemporary reviews for a tall album. Yeah. The Zelogene. An unusual experience for us. 
Stephen Peacock, go. This is a review that was published on the 13th of January, 2022, okay. on the Prague Report, the source for the latest in new Prague rock. Reputable. PragueReport.com. PragueReport.com if, if you want to fund us, if you want to you know, pay. Oh, sure. Get a little commercial action going on. Just moms at fecklessmoms.com. Written by Jeff Bailey. When a legendary prog band with 50-plus years heritage releases its first new album, studio album in 20 years, we, of course, sit up and take notice. Teased by two strong singles, well, sounds like a threaten me with a good time, and now signed to Inside Out, the Zealot Gene gets 2022's prog releases off to a fantastic start. Far from being the lockdown album, the songs and recordings that feature here had their origins as far back as 2017. The players who feature here have, in most cases, been a part of the lineup since 2007, and so this is essentially the band that made Thick as a Brick 2 and Homo Erraticus, as well as the related touring. So, to that extent, this is a continuation of the solid body of work that has flowed from the pen of Ian Anderson. That's a very good point. We've talked a little bit about that, and, and I think that we may have to eventually talk about Thick as a Brick and Homo Erraticus, just because yeah. to fill in, it's like the... Homo erraticus is like the missing link for us in yeah. the tall evolution. Yeah. Those two albums, yeah, absolutely. And I, I always forget that they exist, but I do need I do actually need to listen to them more. But I, I mean I think he brings up a great point. I've been kind of doing a little poking around that where does Tall End and, and Ian Anderson begin, particularly with, with this new album. And um I it, it, he said when this album, when Zel uh, Zealot Gene came out, that like he basically decided to to give the touring musicians the ability to have the credit of being on a Jethro right. Tull album. Right, right, right. That's really the only reason it's a Tull album. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all. I just wanted to throw that in there. Jeff goes on to say, "What I can say at the outset is that this is a great sounding Tull album." All of the elements you'd want are present and correct, with excellent musicianship, great production, and the man himself in great voice and flute. Like any vocalists, the ravages of touring and age mean that singers have to evolve over the years. And this album has Ian's distinctive tones at front and center, and he's sounding great. He goes on to talk about a little bit of the, the idea behind the album, some of the particular human emotions or traits, does a little bit of a song-by-song song breakdown with certain songs. He goes on a couple more things, and then finally says, while not a concept album as such, the Zealot Gene is very worthy, is a very worthy entry into the Jethro Tull catalog. It shows that Ian's songwriting and arranging skills are still at the top of their game, and that lyrically he's still poking and prodding us to make us think. Yeah. That's not bad. It's really positive. Yeah, it's relevant. He takes us there. I've got another album here if you want to compast and contraire. That was not intentional. <laughs> this is on the classic rock website, loudersound.com. Oh, I've heard of them. Written by Hugh Fielder, February 7th, 2022. The Zelda Gene is light, bright, tight, and recognizably Jethro Tull. Fact. Oh, but that's the one that only gave him three stars, right? Mm. It's a very positive headline. Adding to the confusion is that most of the members of Jethro Tull also appear on Ian Anderson's solo records, all of which begs the question, 
what is the difference between a Jethro Tull album and an Ian Anderson solo album? The answer, of course, lies at the personal discretion of Ian Anderson. The Zelogene is a collection of 12 songs covering various aspects of the human condition, so no surprises there. There is a theme that binds them together, however, the Holy Bible. Each song title is followed by a reference to specific verses in the Bible that have spurred Anderson into lyrical action. The connection is not always easy to make, and sometimes you're better off just going with his words, although he can take some unraveling at times. But that's all part of the plan. I think that is to say, unless you're really prepared to do a deep dive into the biblical context. Rich, who would be crazy enough to do that? Who would be crazy enough to do that every week? I haven't seen my son in weeks. He does say, but there are times when you yearn for a heavy guitar riff from the long-departed Martin Barr to add some heavy rock dynamics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a negative review. It's interesting that he only gave it three stars. Yeah. It sounds like a four star. I mean, there are legitimate complaints. It sounds like a four star. I would say overall that nothing in these reviews that I've read are things that are radically groundbreaking from what we ourselves have said in our listening to of this rock and roll album. We are the feckless moms. The thing that's interesting about reviews these days is that anyone can write one and put it on the internet. Right. Anyone could start a podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else to say about the reviews or reception of this album? It'll be interesting for me to see how it holds up over the history of time. Yeah. I think just being in the few tall circles that I am, and I'm not terribly active, but just being, seeing people's opinions. You just lie there. I just lie there. They do the rest. Seeing like comments on like our YouTube videos and things about Zealot Gene songs and, and then about the, the rock flute reviews and things like that. Like people are very heated and divided about rock flute, but the more people talk about that, the more I see people saying, you know what, it's taken a little bit, but Zealot Gene has really grown on me. So, I mean, it's classic tall. It takes time to sink in. That's why Ian has to keep putting out new albums so that people will form a consensus about the previous one. Yeah, that's it. It's, we will we'll like the last album. We'll always like the last album. The penultimate one. Yeah. The last meaning the previous, yeah. Act 5, lines 40 through 42. Let's hear it. Oh, okay. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, capital N name. Mm. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. There it is. Who is the person at the center of this? I believe it to be John the Apostle. Apostle John, not John the Baptist different John, because John the Baptist was no more at this point. For those not terribly religious, we've all heard the word Messiah, but it translates to the definition is the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation prophesied in the Hebrew Bible. While Omen is looking this up, I'm going to read the blurb for the fishermen of Ephesus from this great big monster, Mm. the great big zealot gene special edition here, the fishermen of Ephesus, and this is written by Ian. 
Tull performed in the Great Amphitheater in Ephesus in 1991, one of a handful of artists to have been allowed to do so, and I returned as a tourist some years later to see it in a different, more historical context. I imagine an old fisherman at the end of his days reeling in metaphorical fish in a slowly drying, silted harbor, the last to survive amongst his band of brothers who have met tragic ends. I think of this song as an expression of guilt for survival at the expense of others' demise. Survivors of shipwrecks, IED bombings, and air crashes often go through this mental torment. To live on without your comrades must be hard, especially for John, who was the apostle of love. Right, and the last one to die. Yeah. So Ephesus is a city in Greece. Yep. So really what this section is talking about is the, the aftermath of the death of Jesus and what happened. Yeah. You know, it's sort of the coda on the story. Yeah. What happened to the band? Well, they all slowly died off. They were persecuted. They were whipped, which they were like, yay, we must be doing something right. Yeah. Yeah, they kept spreading the word. Right. The good word. But slowly they died off, and John was the last to die. Mm -hmm. There's also a really fascinating mention here of Judas. Mm. Line 37. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people into revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Is that Judas the betrayer? Is that, that sounds like a different Judas to me. I don't know. It does fit into the narrative that we talked about, about Judas maybe betraying Jesus because he, Jesus wasn't being as politically radical as he wanted. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'll give it to you. So there's also the, there's a central metaphor that I want to talk about here, and that is the, that of the fisherman. Yes, the fisher of men. The fisher of men which is where you dangle a ham sandwich off of a bridge. And a bunch of guys from Brooklyn try and grab it. They fight it. over it. Hey, hey I saw it that's first. That's my ham. I have, it on, I have my mouth on it. <laughs> I licked it before you saw it. <laughs> the fisher of man refers to Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. It's his trolling, fishing for the, the hearts of... Trawling. Trawling. Oh, trawling for the hearts of men and <laughs> bringing them into a place of of love and peacefulness. And John was the last of that tradition who was living, who actually met the J-man himself. Yeah. Jumping back uh, at least a year at this point, if not more, we have a reference to fishers of men in the first verse of The Flying Dutchman. Yes, of course. Old lady with a barrow, life near ending, standing by the harbor wall, warm wishes sending children on the cold sea swell, not fishers of men, gone to chase away the last herring, come empty home again. Old lady with a barrow, life near ending, standing by the harbor wall. Gonna chase away the last Interesting. So that a uh, bit of a parallel image there of the 
someone at the end of their life who is who is you know wasting away in this harbor town yeah they're not going out to save man they're going out to bring back food to save their family right and this is the opposite yeah 10 set out along the rocky road to suffer for their saintly sins 10 set out along the rocky road to suffer for the saintly sins they were banished from what's it place yeah, this is the Apostles. Right. The Great Betrayer gone missing, having topped himself or split his skin. The Great Betrayer gone missing, having topped himself or split his skin. I'm not sure what topped himself means. Judas. That's He killed himself. Oh, topped himself off. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like a topper? I'm more of a bottomer. <laughs> he, popped, he popped his top. Now the young beloved one, last son of Father Zibibi, comes to the town of Ephesus to spin the lure and reel them in. So yeah. Zebedee. Yeah. Zebedee. Now the young beloved one, last son of Father Zebedee, comes to the town of Ephesus to spin the lure and reel them in. And that is John the Apostle, is, right. is a, a son of Zebedee. Casts a line and sits waiting quietly for the telltale nibble to reveal the passing curiosity. Casts a line sits waiting quietly for the telltale nibble to reveal the passing curiosity. This is very interesting because one of the central tenets of modern Christianity that I have heard over and over and over again is proselytizing. You have to go out and make conversions. Mm. And of course, as we know, the history of the Crusades, the history of imperialism, Christian imperialism, the history of the expansion of Christianity has always been forceful conversions. Conversion right. by the sword. Convert or die. Convert or die because either it's one more Christian or one less heathen. Right, right. Or even weirdly worse, maybe, is killing people and then posthumously converting them. Which is a, a, a loophole that I think somebody figured out at some point. Yeah. But this is the opposite. This is, I am going to sit here until somebody is curious enough about me to ask. <laughs> that was how I dated in college. <laughs> and I, that's why I was so lonely. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, throwing out that line, what is the bait? Is it kindness? Is it gentleness? Is it love itself? And waiting until somebody nibbles on it and then reeling them in. Yeah. That John guy's really nice. What's his story? Sit down, children. Let me tell you about a little man. Are you ready, named, kids? <laughs> named Jesus. <laughs> Is that the pirate from from SpongeBob? Yes. Oh, yeah. He died on a cross and he rose for your sins. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> now I would watch that show. That sounds fun. Jesus Christ, uh, square, square pants. pants yes. <laughs> square robe. Square holes. Ooh, nice. Yes, because the nails were probably they would be, square. They would be in square. Yeah. Flag was flown, the story told of crucifix and stormy crown. We know what that is. Flag was flown, the story told of crucifix and thorny crown. Hard to go on living with the guilt of chance survival. Hard to go on living with the guilt of chance survival. Ian, we just read in that blurb about survival syndrome, survival guilt. Right. They're saying, like, that's exactly what he would do when the people came in. He would tell them about Jesus. He would say what he did. He would say yeah. not only the miracles of barley loaves and two small fish to make for multitudes a meal, singing of miracles and fairy tales. Things of miracles and fairy tales of barley loaves and two small fish to make for multitudes a meal. 
but he did tell of the suffering and the sacrifice as well. Well, and there's this, I love this line, all alone to fall from the sky, crash landing on arrival to walk again the rocky road, no martyrdom to comfort. All alone to fall from sky, crash landing on arrival to walk again the rocky road, no martyrdom to comfort. No martyrdom to comfort. Some of the apostles were martyred. Yeah, to martyr is to die for your beliefs. To be killed in usually some yeah. kind of very creative graphic way. Yeah, spitted or chopped into bits or fed to... Bubbled to death. Mice bubbled to death, yeah. And the fact that John has survived this long, even though he's still, still preaching, maybe he's not that terribly active, and that's why he has survived. And maybe there is that guilt there too, because he's waiting for fish to come to him, right? He's not yeah. going out there and preaching. Yeah, that's really interesting. He's not wearing the sandwich board and the neon lights. Which allowed him to live. It reminds me of the Klingon, you know, in, in, sure, yeah. in Star Trek, <laughs> in Klingon culture, there's this whole, one of the most offensive things you can do to a Klingon is spare his life in battle. Mm. Yes, that sounds vaguely right. They get very angry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why would you deny me my warrior's death? Yeah. And now I'll never go to Stovokor. Bummer. I've watched a lot of Star Trek. Yeah. But this kind of reminds me of that, where it's like, wow, what a bummer. I don't even get to die for my beliefs. Yeah. Oh, remember the good old days when we were whipped for believing what we did? Now I'm off your moldering. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then he, he relates some of the martyrdoms. The test of poison cup, a little boiling oil along the way. The test of poison cup, a little boiling oil along the way. Those could refer to specific martyrdoms or the general persecution of Christians throughout that early period in history. Yeah. On Isle of Artemis to toil, write memoirs at the end of day, then back to lie in Ephesus. On Isle of Artemis to toil, write memoirs at the end of day, then back to lie in Ephesus. That's his thing. That's what he did. So let's expand a little bit and think about what is the relationship of this image of this person to the life of Ian Anderson or perhaps some other mythical modern figure. What's the allegory of John the Apostle to Ian? Mm -hmm. Where's our real life connection here? Our present day connection? Why does this song end? Why don't we have a final song of Revelations? Complete with Hieronymus. Because it's Revelation. Um, uh, Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, I love his art. So good. Complete with, uh, you know, Ian Anderson does Hieronymus Bosch. Like, why yeah. is this the song that ends the album? Well, John is getting up there in years and retiring is he can't really maybe he can't go out anymore he's got arthritis he's got the gout you know like he can't go out and actively preach and convert and proselytize so he just managed to not be martyred but now that's where the guilt is and that's the translation of ian like feeling like He's outlived every other rock star from his era. Yeah, maybe I, I wow. finally need to sit down and I didn't go out in a blaze of glory. Not that it feels like Ian would ever want to go out in a blaze of glory. You know, even from those early, early interviews and, and descriptions of Ian watching people, his peers drop like flies because of drugs. Yeah. Watching John Glasscock fall apart. Oh, you know? wow. Wow, wow, wow. 
all very close and personal, and he watched these things happen. But maybe there is a little bit of survival's guilt there. Well, sure, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, there's the ability to not fall for that and the the mental acuity and kind of foresight to realize how just goddamn terrible it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a line that I'm trying to find in dot com. Hot mango flush. That was it. Of course it's hot mango flush. No, it's not. It's not. We never quite vanish. No wet soft surrender. We never quite vanish. No wet soft surrender. What's that from? It's from Wicked Windows. Ooh. Wicked Windows. I review my past through wicked windows framed in silver. I review my past through wicked windows framed in silver. Anyway, a bit off track. Yeah. I want to offer an alternate possible theory here. Okay. Which is that if we take what we know about Ian's Christian beliefs, which is that he really does believe in the message, but doesn't necessarily favor the techniques or history of the church. I wonder, and I can imagine this for people who really are true, true believers, I can imagine feeling like that they are completely alone. Hmm. Imagine being a real Christian in a world of cultural Christians hmm. who are all, you know, quoting the Bible, but having never read it. Yeah and shoving their faith in each other's faces to try to make other people wrong, and being somebody who really is motivated like Jesus was by love, who really is trying to carry on that tradition, I could imagine that could be a very lonely experience, and feeling like you're out here on the edge of the world, keeping this flame alive. Right, yeah. Just by virtue of what you believe and how you believe in it, you're not advertising, you know, you're not that big flashy bullshit. So it's it's easy to feel overwhelmed and lost and the only one, even if there's someone like a mile away doing the same thing, you know, there's not that exposure. So you feel like you're on Ephesus and the other one is on Pars Parsonalis or whatever. That's Artemis's island. It's pronounced Parsnip. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The Isle, what is it? The Island of Artemis? Is that what he says? The Isle yeah, of Artemis. Isle of that... Artemis. That's a small uninhabited island just off of Ephesus. So oh, I, is I, it really? I feel like he may have like... So he went even more mm -hmm. remote. Oh, yeah. interesting. I mean, that's almost a an archetype of the hermit. It is. It's the hermit, the, you know, the mm -hmm. knowledge keeper who is way, way off beyond the reach of society. But in this case, the hermit has retained one little line out to humanity. Yeah. Of contact, a telegraph line. And he still uses it and spreads the word through it, but that's really all he has. Wow, what a beautiful image. This Bible thing. I can't believe that Ian Mervergen Anderson has gotten me into Christian mythology. Yeah. Wow. Likewise. Hats off. Well, it's going to be complicated to take it off. Hats on for Ian. Yeah. Hands off to Ian Anderson. Whoosh. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. These suspenders are only connected to my chair. <laughs> <laughs> They're holding me down. Yeah, I <laughs> when when Zealot Jean first came out, I was like, ugh, Catholic religion. Brr. 
Yeah. You know, immediately my hackles went up for because of trauma. Sure. But boy, howdy, am I glad we really went into it because it, it really did open my eyes to the album itself and to the idea of the story, like you said, of this mythology of this, yeah. this book. And I'm really curious to see how, how Ruckflüte goes because I have zero, I have negative interest in North, Norse mythology. Oh, really? Norse mythology. Yeah, really? I think I'm surprised. It's, just, it's too overdone at this point. I think it is. It, I think it is saturated with everything. I don't think it's too overdone enough. I I'm much more a, a Greek and Roman guy. I'm reading Stephen Fry's Mythos to my six year old son right now. Wow. Yeah. Overachiever. Yeah. He could read it to me at this point. Um, but yeah. he like I said like, hey buddy, do you want to do you want to stop? You want to switch to something else? And he is he's all for it. So I'm getting no, him in on awesome. the. I'm getting him in on the Greek myths early. I remember when I was like six or seven, I got a, a book about the 12 labors of Hercules out of the library like every other month. I got it all, all the time, and that's probably where the fascination started. Interesting. But, yeah. Well, I really, I really truly feel like this album is a, is a gift. It is. And one that I have received pleasurably. I can't give it back. Pleasurable. After what I've done with it. <laughs> I don't have the gift receipt anyway. Even if I did, I wouldn't. So what, what was your, what was your trajectory on this album last year? announced we hear the singles we know what it's about we've got these these bits and bobs of the bible to now where we really break it down we're at the end of the album what's your journey been i've loved it i've loved it all the entire way and what has surprised me about it is that i thought i was going to like it because it was a clever riff or or a clever undercutting of christianity and actually it is I have fallen in love with the love letter to the story of Christianity in a very unexpected way. But also, it has confirmed for me the like, this is some dangerous stuff. Like, it's, yeah. it's almost half and half. It's the dark and the light. Mm. It's that you have the real, like, scary darkness of the Old Testament and the, the references to what humanity is capable of. Yeah. And at the same time, you have these amazing visions of what humanity is capable of. And, I mean, Old Testament also images of what God is capable of. You know, if sure. that's what you believe in, that God can do that. Sure. Yeah. But it, it is such a compassionate telling of these, these stories, and that's what really, that's... I mean, Ian doesn't half-ass anything. No, no, he quadruple-asses it. And he really... He really committed on this one, as as is to be expected, and just that energy behind it to tell this story in this way. I mean, I don't know who else could convince me that the Bible is worth worth giving a read. But old man Ian. Hard to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful work. So happy that Ian wrote this. It's amazing. Yeah. Call to listeners out there. 
I'm genuinely interested in reading the Bible now. If anyone has a recommendation on a specific Bible to read, one that's not too, like, flowery pushing the religion, but may have, like, bits and bobs of, like, oh, that's what this means, and this is our allegory here. John the Vicar, if you are our Anglo correspondent, if you ever write a Bible or write commentary on the Bible, <laughs> uh, let me know. I think, I think what you want is the Arden version, the Arden copy. It's got all the footnotes, like the Shakespeare copy, like the Shakespeare. Oh Arden. yeah, with the the knights fighting snails drawn in the margin and hey, <laughs> just like giant penises, monks on penises. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah. That's the one I want. So find me that, please. Nick, what are we talking about next week here on Talk Tall to Me, the podcast? Gracious me! Next week we are on to the first track of the last, most recent album. At the time of this recording. At the time of this recording. Who knows? In, in three weeks' time. It dropped a scant month ago? Mm. April? Mm. Like April 19th? Yeah, a month ago as of this recording. It is Rockflute, and our first track is Valuspo. Caveat, like, just fair warning, we probably won't pronounce any of these things right. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Until next week, I think we have sufficiently sung for our supper of miracles and fairy tales. As such, our supper can be in the form of five stars and a rating and review, please. If you're going to test a poison cup, why not test a beautiful poison cup branded with Talk Tall to Me official logos, the Tall Skull version, the OG Jethro Tall version, or the Newt. The Feckless Newt. They look really good. Not that I need any more mugs in my house. I have too many as it is, but they look really good. They do. They do. If you feel the guilt of surviving to be the only Tull fan that you know, come and join our flock on our Discord and meet with other like-minded Tull Skulls. Chat your brains out and generally uh, join a, an amazing community who just loves Jethro Tull. I, I had really bad shrimp the other day and I chat my brains out too. <laughs> <laughs> I did before the marathon as well. Yeah. Until next week, I am the middle son of Tom McGill, Nick McGill. I am a little boiling oil, Omen Thomas Sade. We are the harbor that slowly suffocates the feckless momes. And this is the sticky end, the harsh rebuttal. Talk tall to me. is a member of the